I'm Michael Klein, Executive Editor of Econofact, a nonpartisan web-based publication of the Fletcher School at Tufts University. At Econofact, we bring key facts and incisive analysis to the national debate on economic and social policies, publishing work from leading economists across the country. You can learn more about us and see our work at www.econofact.org. The first episode of the HBO series Newsroom begins in a packed college auditorium in which the panelists are asked why America is the greatest country in the world. After insipid answers from two of the panelists, the news anchor Will McAvoy, played by Jeff Daniels, says that the premise of the question is wrong. He cites a range of statistics in which America is lagging, including being 49th in life expectancy and 178th in infant mortality. This makes for a dramatic moment, and McAvoy's outrage drives much of the plot in the first season of this series. But is his characterization of health statistics in the United States accurate? And if so, what explains these poor outcomes, in particular for maternal and infant mortality? To answer these questions, I'm very pleased to welcome to Econofact Chats, Petra Pearson and Maya Rosen-Slatter, both of whom are professors at Stanford University. Maya is in the Department of Health Policy. Petra is a professor in the Economics Department, and she's also an affiliated researcher at the Research Institute for Industrial Economics in Sweden. Petra and Maya, welcome to Econofact Chats. Thank you so much. Thank you. So let's start out with some basic facts. Was Will McAvoy right about life expectancy and infant mortality in the United States versus other countries? And if his rant had gone on longer, what could he have said about maternal mortality? So this is Maya. Um, yes, I think at a big picture level, he was right um, in that the U.S. is an outlier when it comes to these health statistics, especially compared to other similar high-income countries. When it comes to maternal mortality, I also think he would have said um, that the U.S. does poorly as compared to other places. For example, our maternal mortality rate is two to three times higher that of comparable countries like Canada, France, or Sweden. What's been happening to maternal mortality in the United States and other countries over the last few decades? Petra? Yeah, so, you know, if we go back even more than a few decades, you know, it's, it's actually a really nice story. So since the beginning of the 20th century, maternal mortality has been declining a lot in the U.S. as well as around the world um, because of a range of things like healthier living conditions, uh, better maternity services, safer surgical procedures, and and access to antibiotics. Um, but starting around 25 years ago, in the US, the maternal mortality rate began to rise. Um, and we haven't seen a similar rise in maternal mortality over the past couple of decades in many other comparably wealthy countries. Um, they have instead experienced roughly constant or falling maternal death rates. So in Sweden, for example, from 2000 to 2018, maternal mortality fell slightly from an already very low rate uh, from 4.4 to 4.3 deaths per 100,000 births. And in the United States, over the same time period, um, the maternal death rate since that rose substantially. And in fact, the rate in your research, you say it's like 17.4. 
So it's three or four times as big in the United States as in Sweden, right? That's right. So what are some possible explanations for this divergence between the United States and other countries, especially between the United States and other rich countries? Maya? Yeah. um, So that's a really big question, and it's a hard one to answer. Um, I think a lot of different things come to mind. Of course, the different policy environments is a big one, right? So the U.S. is one of few countries in the world that doesn't have paid maternity leave policy at a federal level. Um, We don't have a universal healthcare system like many of the other countries that were mentioned. Um, And just in general, there's um, much less policy surrounding uh, new motherhood and new parenthood in the United States as compared to other places. So I think the policy environments is certainly one potential explanation. One thing that I've noticed is data on teenage birth rates. So teenage birth rate has been declining steadily since the mid-1990s, as far as I understand. And I guess I would expect that to contribute to the maternal mortality rate declining as well. Are the age or the income characteristics of mothers in the United States changing in a way that help explain increasing maternal mortality, or do these changes just deepen the puzzle? Yeah, that's a good question. So it's true that the teen birth rate has been declining um, in the U.S. in particular. Um, If anything, uh, average age at birth is, is getting higher. So there's more women who are having their first children at older ages, Um, And age is a known risk factor um, for various complications following childbirth and during pregnancy. Um, And so that could, at least in part, explain some of these trends in maternal mortality. So when I teach, and I'm sure when you teach as well, you make the point that averages help us make sense of large amounts of data, but they can also mask information. What do these averages, like 17.4 deaths per 100,000 births in the United States, What do these not tell us about the differences in health statistics across, say, rich and poor people or across racial and ethnic groups? Thanks. Um, This is Maya again. Um, So I think uh, our averages mask a lot of really important information. So, for example, um, in some of our work, we found large disparities in both infant and maternal mortality by income. So for example, comparing families at the very top of the income distribution and the top top 10 or top 5% incomes and comparing those um, at the bottom of the income distribution, um, we see gaps two to three times a difference in both infant and maternal mortality rates where uh, richer women are much less likely to have children who die and are much less likely to die themselves um, following childbirth. So if the average infant mortality rate in 2018 in the United States was 17.4 deaths per 100,000 births, and the point that Maya just made that it's higher for poor women than for rich women, that means that it must be a lot higher for poor women. Is that correct, Petra? Yeah, that's exactly right. So as Maya mentioned, there's a threefold difference in these outcomes. So that's a huge difference by income. Are there also differences by race or ethnic group? Yeah, this is Petra. Yeah, so we also find um, that Black mothers uh, are substantially more likely to die from uh, pregnancy-related complications um, than wealthier, um, you know, white and or Hispanic mothers. We find these really, really strong racial gradients that in fact swamp the income gradients. 
Just if I may jump in here real quick, just to say that it's not just compared to the wealthier women, it's just that also the wealthy black women experience disproportionate burden of maternal mortality as well. So income is not protective uh, for black women when it comes to complications and mortality. There was a terrific article in the New York Times in February that drew on your research. And what really struck me about that was that um, black mothers and black babies have worse outcomes even controlling for income. And these are obviously very disturbing statistics for a country as wealthy as the United States, especially since the numbers are moving in the wrong direction. A point is made in that same article that it's not race, it's racism that's happening. This was made by Professor Tiffany Green at University of Wisconsin in Madison. It's not the biology, it's the environment. Can you speak to some of the possible racism factors that are leading to these distinctions, controlling for income between black mothers and babies and um, white mothers and babies? This is Maya. Um, So I think we now have growing amounts of evidence that racism can affect health outcomes through a myriad of ways, Um, from experiencing discrimination or bias within the healthcare system. You know, we've heard anecdotes, for example, about Serena Williams's experience uh, with childbirth. Um, you know, these are, you know, these are real, um, experiences that many black women have in our healthcare system. Um, and our data suggests that, you know, that potentially could lead to adverse outcomes, um, but also outside the healthcare system, um, from, you know, disproportionate impacts of police brutality on black, uh, women's mental health, um, to environmental factors. Um, to all kinds of ways in which sort of racism permeates our society um, and can affect um, maternal and infant health. You've talked about how income matters, and you've talked about how race matters as well. And we know that on average, Black families are poorer than white families. Petra, how are you able in your research to separate out the effects of income and race and thereby come to the conclusion that Maya was discussing that things are worse for Black women, even controlling for income? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, as the, the standard story in the U.S. over the last 40 years um, has been that maternal health is worse, mostly when the mom is poorer. So we've been looking at racial disparities, and a common interpretation has been that Black mothers, for example, fare worse because they tend to be poorer. Um, And in our data, we observe both income and race. So we're able to study the relationship between income and maternal mortality separately by race. Um, So that's how we see that at any level of income, Black mothers have far worse health outcomes than their white counterparts at the same income levels. So for example, high-income Black mothers have the same risk of dying in the first year following childbirth as the poorest white mothers. As a poorest white mother, that's very striking. Yes. What do you find for Hispanic families, Hispanic mothers and babies? So I think um, Hispanics tend to fall usually somewhere between um, the white and the black uh, groups, um, although sometimes um, kind of very, more similar to white mothers. Um, that's what we tend to find. And this is still controlling for income, correct? Yes. So we have these racial disparities going beyond income disparities. What kind of policies could we see the government pursue in order to 
change these terrible outcomes for, for mothers? And are these policies shown to be effective in other countries? Well, I think one thing that, you know, this points to is that if we want to improve um, outcomes for, especially for Black uh, families in terms of infant maternal health, we can't only think about economic um, interventions. We can't purely think about, um, you know, resolving the gap between the rich and the poor as that's going to be the solution. Um, we have to think beyond that and think the ways in which, um, you know, various aspects of our society disproportionately affect uh, people of color and especially black families. In terms of specifics, um, you know, I think some of the things I mentioned earlier, including, you know, paid parental leave, including, um, you know, better access to the healthcare system, um, including more specific things like, for example, nurse home visiting programs, which many other high income countries have, and we do not at sort of a systematic level, are um, probably going to be very helpful here. Um, but again, I think um, lot, all the policies need to really think critically about what to do about the racial disparities. Is there a special role for neonatal care as well? Um, so one thing that we did in our analysis is we looked at whether these gaps that we find in infant maternal health also exist within the same hospital. So the, you know, so looking, for example, in a hospital that has, you know, a high NICU level, right, and sort of has high quality neonatal care, do we still see these gaps? And the answer is for the most part, yes. So, you know, certainly neonatal care is important. And, you know, we think, you know, there's obviously improvements that could be made there as well. Um, but it's not clear that the main driver of these inequalities that we find is differences in neonatal care. Um, I think we have to think even bigger than that. Just to add to that, I, I, I think we should keep in mind that more than half of these maternal deaths occur after the birth of the baby, so in the postpartum period. So this really, I think, underscores the importance of policies that can improve conditions for new mothers after um, she's born, um, not just in the hospital. It's not just in the hospitals, you're saying, Petra, but it's a very wide range of things. Some very interesting research that you did has to do with company policies, not just government policies. Can you speak to that a little bit, please? Um, yeah, so this is uh, this is Petra again. Um, so Maya and I, we, we jointly do the study where we um, we look at a policy change that took, took place in Sweden. So Sweden, you know, for background, is, is one of these uh, countries with a very generous parental leave system. So mothers and fathers can take approximately 15 months of uh, paid leave after the birth of the child. But most of this leave must be taken by either the mother or the father, um, and they cannot be taken uh, pa the parents cannot take leave at the same time. And similar rules actually exist in many other uh, rich countries. Um, and we study a policy change that relaxed these rules. So it allowed parents to take leave at the same time. Um, and this meant sort of effectively uh, the law allowed fathers to take up to 30 days of paid leave on a, an intermittent basis um, while the moms were still on leave. Um, and we find that this policy change that puts dads in the home together with the mother after the birth of the child, that resulted in some clear benefits for the mother's health, um, including reductions in child-related complications 
and reductions in postpartum uh, anxiety. So what recommendations would the two of you make, say you were in front of a congressional committee, to help resolve some of these issues, um, both you know, for poor versus rich, for black versus white, but more generally, the United States just has a very poor record on this. Yeah, um, that's a great and very big question. Um, I guess this is Petra again. I guess let, let me sort of start. I think getting back to this fact that you know more than half of these maternal deaths occur in the postpartum period after the birth of the baby, I think means that we really need to think about policies that can help mothers, new mothers um, in this postpartum period. Um, now expanding insurance coverage so that women are covered by health insurance would be one important step. Um, and in particular, ensuring that women have regular care, not during pregnancy, but also after giving birth. So the reality today is that many vulnerable women in the U.S. are lacking health insurance in the postpartum period. Even women who are offered Medicaid during pregnancy often lose it um, uh, 60 days after childbirth. So we essentially have many women uninsured during this critical time uh, after childbirth. Now, the second policy that comes to mind is that the U.S. is the only high-income country that does not guarantee any paid family leave to mothers um, after childbirth. And we know from um, work that, for example, Maya has done, shown that paid family leave for mothers it, it boosts infant health, but we also know that it's important for mothers in the postpartum uh, period. And then, of course, there's paternity leave, which our joint work has shown can have a direct impact on maternal health as well. Maya, do you have any further suggestions? Yeah, so I think I completely agree with what Petra's mentioned. I, I think there's a host of policies sort of centered around this family period that are really critical, um, including postpartum coverage, including paid parental leave, um, including things like nurse home visiting that I mentioned earlier. But I think at a high level, we also have to zoom out a little bit and, and realize that the way that people come into pregnancy and new parenthood is also a function of how healthy they were, you know, even before they conceived. So this idea of like preconception health. Um, and to that point, I mean, I think any policies that you can think of that improve, you know, child health, that improve adolescent health, that improve like young people's health in this country are actually quite important in terms of preparing them for when they do become parents and the health that they enter uh, that period with. Um, so I have this sort of idea that like, yes, you know, the U.S. lags on family policy. We know that, you know, um, we, we need to care about that. But I think focusing only on the family period actually misses this component that some of this actually is, I think, determined before people, you know, become pregnant, before they become parents. Um, and we, you know, we lack there as well. So would you say that these issues of maternal and infant mortality are, in a way, a canary in the coal mine. And referring back to the way I began this episode with these statistics about how the United States lags behind, this is sort of one indicator of the poor health statistics for the United States as a whole. And perhaps it's the most dire and most shocking in some ways, but it is a statistic that points to a lot of other things that are going on as well. Would you agree with that? I would. I would. So 
let me conclude by just saying, um, going back to that first episode of Newsroom, when Will McAvoy is deciding whether or not to answer the question, say the United States isn't the greatest country in the world, he looks up in the audience and there's somebody holding a sign who says, and the sign says it isn't, and that convinces him to start his rant. But the person also turns the sign around and it says, but it could be. And I think if people listen to researchers like the two of you more um, for these issues, that would really help make the United States realize its potential along these very important dimensions. So thank you very much for joining me today and talking about this incredibly important issue. Thank you so much for having us. This has been Econofact Chats. To learn more about Econofact and to see the work on our site, you can log into www.econofact.org. Econofact is a publication of the Fletcher School at Tufts University. Thanks for listening.